Welcome to Light for the Journey, a podcast of Russell Memorial United Methodist Church. Each week, we open the scriptures in faith that the timeless truth of God will guide us as we seek to follow in the steps of Jesus. A story requires three things, something to tell, someone to tell it, and someone to hear it. Without those three things, a story cannot exist. It's like the proverbial question, if a tree falls in the forest, but no one hears it, does it make a sound? If something happens, but no one tells it, or if someone tells it, but no one listens, has a story come into existence? In this week's message from Easter Sunday, Pastor David Cartwright examines the importance of spreading the Easter story, both 2,000 years ago and today. As we go to our message today, let's open our hearts and minds to the truth that God would speak to us. I invite you to turn in your scripture to Mark chapter 16. We'll be spending our time there today. So... If you use pages, open those pages. If you use your phone app, that's fine. Just open the app. Don't be checking news while you're on there. Mark chapter 16, and we'll read verses 1 through 8. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome bought spices so that they might come and anoint him. Very early on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. They were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, although it was extremely large. Entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right, wearing a white robe, and they were amazed. And he said to them, Do not be amazed. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who has been crucified. He has risen. He is not here. Behold, here is the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter, He is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. They went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had gripped them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious Father, in these moments, may your spirit so richly abide in our midst that our ears are attentive only to your voice and our hearts warmed by your presence. We offer ourselves to you that your word, your truth, would lodge within our hearts and transform us today. I pray, Father, for the leading of your Holy Spirit so that the words I speak are words of your truth, that they are spoken in simplicity and with grace, that you would accomplish in our midst your good and perfect will for every good thing that we experience now. We give praise and glory only to you. 
In the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, most of us have been here before Easter Sunday. Um, any, no, I'm not going to do that. Like Most of us, if I said, is this, if the, have you been to an Easter worship service before, most of us would raise our hands, right? Okay, so, I mean, I wasn't asking you to, but... This, okay. So, I mean, it comes around with this great regularity that we, we gather in the, in the house of the Lord to celebrate the resurrection of Christ. And for someone who stands in the pulpit on a regular basis, there's always this question, is there, is there something to tell? Is there a message? Is, is there something that we are intended to hear on a day like this? Obviously, I think the answer is yes. Otherwise, I'd send you all and you could get a head start on lunch. But I think there's something for us to hear. The question is, what? Can you appreciate how difficult it must have been for the closest friends of Jesus the day after he died? Mark's narrative here is interesting. Scholarship of the New Testament would tell us that the earliest forms of Mark's gospel account ended after verse 8, which is probably true. The earliest manuscripts that, that we have come up with contain only through verse 8. And that's not to say that the following verses are somehow less legitimate. It's not saying that at all. It's just saying that in its earliest form, that's where it ended. Which is very interesting to me because I want you to think for a moment about what it would be like if the message about Christ's resurrection ended with, they went out and fled from the tomb, trembling with astonishment, because astonished, I can't even read it now, for trembling and astonishment had gripped them and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Silence. If the resurrection of Christ ended with the people who witnessed it saying nothing, but thanks be to God, it doesn't end that way. But I have to appreciate what those friends must have felt the day after. I spent the day yesterday um, trying to frame my mind around what it must have been like to only have known what happened the day before. You see, th there's a sense in which we're, we're at a disadvantage because as we so often have said throughout generations in, within the realm of Christianity, it may be Friday, but... Sunday's coming. You ever heard that? It may be Friday, but Sunday's coming. If, if you would have said that to Peter and John and Mary and Martha, if you would have said, hey, it's, you know, it may be Friday, it may be Saturday, but hey, Sunday's coming, they wouldn't have had a clue what you were talking about. All they knew was Friday. 
And I spent yesterday trying to think about what Saturday would have been like for them had the only thing I knew been they crucified my Savior. And I watched it happen. We would call this uh, shock, trauma, the, the, the emotional stress of, of observing something like that happening. To, to witness firsthand one of the most cruel acts in the history of humanity. To have had their hopes dashed, going up uh, in smoke, in evaporating into the air. I mean, everything had been taken away from them. I can't picture the stress, the, the trauma, the emotional um, anxiety that they must have felt. And then to go to the tomb and find it empty, to find an angelic messenger saying, oh, he's not here, he's risen. I mean, it's no wonder that they were overwhelmed. It's no wonder that they were overwhelmed. In, in fact, if you, if you would read a little bit further in Mark's gospel from where we left off, you'll find that uh, disbelief continued with them. Mark goes on and tells us briefly about uh, Jesus appearing to Mary Magdalene, and then she goes and tells the disciples, but they didn't believe her. Then he tells us about Jesus appearing to two of them as they were walking out into the country, and then those two went back and told the other apostles, but they didn't believe them. This, this disbelief continued on. And yet, when Jesus finally appeared to them, his, his words toward them were to chastise them, to, to give them a, a correction. And I have to believe that it was done with grace, but still it was very direct to say, you should have believed. He didn't say to them, and now I understand it was all very overwhelming, it's, it's perfectly reasonable, and so we can give you a pass on it. He said, no, you, you should have believed the ones who came and told you what had happened. And the reason he does that is because he, he was not expecting them to have some kind of blind faith, which is just wishful thinking, put it another, another way. It's not blind faith, it's faith that has given substance. Because he had told them. He had told them more than once what would happen. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be tried. I'm going to be killed. I'm going to rise on the third day. They, they had something to go on. Even more, they had the entirety of their scriptures to go on. The fact that God was working this grand redemptive plan and bringing it to, uh, to a culmination in the person of Jesus Christ. They had something to go on, but they just couldn't get there. And so God gives us something to go on today. This opportunity to embrace a message that applies to you and to me today. There, there is something to tell, but what is it? I know it's very easy to fill in the blank. He rose. He's alive, right? Can't you just make it that simple, preacher? We could knock about 15 minutes off of this. But you see, that's... That's, that's too superficial. 
we, we, can, we can say it too easily, we can walk away as if we know it, but it doesn't mean anything. You see, there's a message in this, in this narrative. The, the way that the Gospels describe that first day of the week, there's a message in there for us. It's, in, it's embedded in the imagery that is there. And I'm going to tell you beforehand that what I'm about to share with you is nothing new. I would love as a preacher, we, we do this to ourselves. To, you know, we want to be able to stand and say, I want to tell them something new, something they've never heard before, something fresh. And they'll walk away being so impressed that this, at this new insight. You see, that was the problem of a lot of people back in Jesus' day. They wanted something new. I'm not going to tell you anything new, okay? I'm going to tell you things that I've told you several times before. The first thing I want you to hear out of this narrative is this. The stone was rolled away. Think of the imagery of that. And think about this question. What is the one thing above everything else that we dislike talking about? It's not politics. It's not religion. See, those are the two things that I was always told, you know, never talk about politics or religion with people. Were you ever told that? Check social media. We have no problem talking about politics or religion. Do you know the one thing that we repeatedly find difficult to talk about? Our mortality. I haven't found a person yet who enjoys it and is eager to talk about it. But the fact is, that's a reality for us. The fact that, you know, save that, that Jesus comes beforehand, you and I are going to have that day when we take our last breath. When death looks us square in the eye. That, that imagery of the stone is powerful. It's large. It has a finality to it. When that stone was rolled into place, I mean, you can, you can almost hear, if you will, the reverberation of it locking down that, that chamber where the body rests. And, and the scripture we read today, the, the women said that we, we don't know who's going to move the stone because it's extremely large. It's immovable. Death feels that way, doesn't it? I'm going to go out on a limb and say that most of you in this room, within this past year, have had death show up in your close family. Some close relative or, or a very dear friend. Death has shown up. And you've been reminded once again of the pain it brings to us when we have to face it. But you see, the message of Easter is a message that death has been overcome in victory. I want to share a passage with you. I know you still have your Bibles open. So turn them over to Hebrews chapter 2, and I want you to read a few verses here with me about what the writer of Hebrews says. If you don't know where Hebrews is, it's toward the back of your Bible, 
if you start from the back and go forward, you'll have Revelation, Jude, Epistles of John, Epistles of Peter. Once you get past James, you'll be back in Hebrews. Was that helpful? I just want you to find it. Hebrews chapter 2. And this is what the writer says about the reality that when Jesus died, every one of us had the, have the blessing of knowing that, that our death has been tasted by him. His death becomes identified with our death. In Hebrews 2, verse 9, the writer says, But we do see him who was made for a little while lower than angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Now, the writer's going somewhere with this, okay? But he wants to make sure you understand that in Christ's death, he wasn't just tasting death for himself. He was doing it for every one of us so that we become identified with him. Drop down, if you will, then in verse 14 and 15. The writer says, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, which is you and me in our present form, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. You see, death is the one thing that our accuser, Satan, can always hold over our head. And it feels sometimes like that Damoclean sword that's just hanging there and you know it's going to drop at some point. And when we are bound in slavery to that, we live in fear of it. But the writer of Hebrews is saying that because Jesus Christ took flesh and blood like us, took upon himself our death, he renders powerless death in this life and sets you and me free from fear to it. And those are powerful words. I remember years ago, and when I say years ago, I mean it really was quite quite a number of years ago. And so you'll get, please give me a little grace in sharing this because I'm doing it purely from memory. Uh, but I remember Pastor Chuck Swindoll preaching one day, and he was preaching about the, 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 the reality of death. And I believe he was, he was referencing his father. And he said, you know, most of us, if we were given a choice, we would, we would opt for the, I want Jesus to come before I reach that last day of my life, you know? I'd rather just have Jesus show up and snatch me away from here. And I've felt like that quite often. But Pastor Swindoll was saying that my father had a different perspective, and what he said is, no, 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 no. I want, I want, to, I want to die in this life because I want to look death square in the eye and go, nah, 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 nah. <laughs> you, have, you have no power over me. And that is, that is what the gospel says to us. Death has no power over us. And yes, the reality is that these corruptible bodies one day are going to take their last breath. They're going to decay. That's the way they're made. But the power of death is powerless 
to those who are in Christ. Friends, the gospel message is one that says the stone is rolled away. The finality and the power of the grave holds nothing over you, and we have the freedom to walk above that in this life. The stone has been rolled away. Secondly, the old gets replaced by the new. The people who went to that tomb went into the tomb. There was a place in that tomb where Jesus' body had laid. Do you know what was there when they looked in? It wasn't Jesus' body. There was an angel there who said, you're looking for Jesus who was crucified, right? He's not here. He's risen. The other gospel accounts even tell us that the grave cloths that had been wrapped around him had been folded and left there. Now, I want you to appreciate the imagery in that. The things that represent death, dying, all the things that lead us to death, dying, are left behind. They are exchanged for new things. The same thing was true in the case of Lazarus. And if you remember reading that narrative back in John chapter 11, you remember Jesus showing up in that little town of Bethany. Mary and Martha, his sisters, are all distressed. Jesus goes to the grave, tells them to roll the stone away. It's been four days. And he says what? Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came walking out. But at the very end of that narrative, it tells us that he was still bound up in the cloths that had been wrapped around him because of his death. And the last thing Jesus says to the crowd is what? Unbind him and set him free. Those words are more than just some practical uh, piece of advice. You know, he's going to have trouble walking with those things. You know, uh, Take him loose so he can have a little freedom there. There's a more powerful image to that. The grave clothes, he says, take off. Take them off. Be free from them. You see, in Jesus' resurrection, what he offers to you and to me is a new way of being. It's a complete transformation by the Holy Spirit who takes up residence within us. It's not a, it's not a self-help, self-renewal, self-betterment plan. It's not a self-anything plan, which is too often the way that we want to approach things, right? If we want our life to be a little bit better, what do we do? We go to the huge section of self-help books at Barnes & Noble or Books A Million or Amazon or wherever you buy your books, and we look for the latest word of wisdom from whoever is considered to be the sage about better life nowadays. And the gospel is none of that. It's not better advice on how to you know, improve your daily living. It's a, it's a transformation that, that wants to set us free to live the kind of life that God has given to us to live. But that's, that we so often choose not to because we're satisfied with living with the grave clothes on. And God says to us, I'm offering you to be set free from that. 
But you know what we say? Oh, you know, I'm, I'm really content, you know, because I enjoy the carnal lusts of the flesh and, and resonating with the world around me. You know, I, I enjoy all of that and, and we just miss out on the freedom and the blessing of living as God would offer us. This is the way C.S. Lewis put it, and this is a pretty uh, familiar quote. Uh, this is what he said. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. And I wonder if we're not the same way. It's not that we say, no, I don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead. I don't believe that he didn't, that he died for my sins. But the fact that we continually say to God, no, I'm, you know, the, the, the life I've got going on, it's okay. When the Holy Spirit is waiting to completely transform us and to, to take those grave cloths off that we may live in the fullness of joy of being obedient to His Holy Spirit. In Christ's resurrection, the old is replaced by the new. The last thing I would say to you is this that there is a risen Lord and Savior who d deeply desires to encounter you in the midst of your daily living. Do you remember what the angel said to the women? Go and tell the disciples and Peter that he is going on ahead of you to where? You can say it louder, you're right. Yeah. Be confident. He's going on ahead of you to Galilee. There, you will see him. That to me is very interesting. Here's why. Do you know where Peter and the other apostles first encountered Jesus? Jerusalem. In or near the city. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, very easy. Where did all of these events take place? The women go out to the tomb, which was where? Jerusalem. Okay. Just outside the city wall. All right. It wasn't awesome. Jerusalem. It's where the tomb was. They go out to the tomb. They come back and they tell the disciples. They didn't make some long trek. It was, I mean, they were right there. Jesus appeared to them on the evening of his resurrection day. The gospel accounts tell us that. Where must they have been? Jerusalem. In or near the city, okay? This is first century Palestine. It's not like they could catch a red-eye flight out of Tel Aviv to go back to Capernaum. It's not the way it worked for them. They were in Jerusalem. So why is it that the angel says, go to Galilee, and there you will see him? Think of it like this. And I want to be careful on how I portray things because I don't want you to hear me saying something I'm not. Jerusalem and Galilee kind of paint a contrast for us. When the people of God 
gathered together. They gathered for the high holy feasts three times a year. Where? Jerusalem. I'm trying to bring you all along with me here. In Jerusalem. Okay? But they didn't all live in Jerusalem. Most of them lived in other places of the land. Many of them lived in Galilee, which, according to my memory, is roughly about a 70 or 80 mile, I guess, depending on which way you go, journey. No cars, no, you know, you don't just hop over there. There's just distance. But they're very different types of areas. Jerusalem, you know, that, that uh, city of God where the temple was, the glory of God, the glory of God's people, they celebrated that in Jerusalem. It represented, if you will, the center of being God's people. Galilee was a very diverse place. It's not that it wasn't Jewish, but there was a lot of diversity around Galilee. It was countryside, small towns, uh, kind of everyday life. And so, if you will, Jerusalem kind of represents, it gives us a picture of uh, the holy, the, the, the special time, the place where God's people gather. And Galilee, on the other hand, kind of gives us a picture of just the ordinary, everyday life. And it's not to say that holy things didn't happen in Galilee, and it's not to say that normal, everyday things didn't happen in Jerusalem. It's just that they kind of picture two different things. So to translate that into our normal cycle of life, you could almost put it like this, that Jerusalem would be like you and me coming to church, which we usually do on Sunday. I just kind of go with the flow here. And we usually come to some place like this that's designated as a place where God's people gather. Okay, So we come to church on Sunday, and we do those holy things, and we encounter Jesus in our midst. And then what happens when we leave? I know that's harder for you to fill in, so let me help you. We, we go out the doors, and then we have normal, everyday life. That's Galilee. That's, that's where the normal, everyday things are happening. And then when the cycle invites us back, we come back to church and we do the holy things and then we go out the doors and we go to Galilee again. And Okay. The angel told the disciples, go to Galilee because that's where Jesus wants to encounter you. It's not that he didn't encounter them in Jerusalem. But the invitation is that Jesus wants to be a part of your Galilee life. Jesus wants to be a, a pervasive part of your every waking hour. When you go to work, when you spend time with your family, when you are uh, serving your community, when you are on vacation, when you are doing all those things that we would categorize as normal stuff, Jesus says, that's where I want you to encounter me. But you see, what that requires is for us to allow that to happen. There's something to tell today. The resurrection story is more than just about 
and historic event that happened about 2,000 years ago. It is about a God who continually reaches out to us through the risen Christ by the Holy Spirit that he may become a transformational part of our life. You see, that's the gospel message. But how that plays out depends greatly upon you and me. Because we will decide whether we will go to the tomb, i.e. come to church on Easter Sunday, and go away and say nothing, we'll lock it up in our hearts because whatever, for whatever reason we've just determined that we're not going to say or do anything about it, or we are going to do something different. We're going to embrace it and go and make it a vibrant part of our daily living. And that's the Easter question for you and me today. So how is the narrative going to play out in your life? Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that Jesus is alive and abiding with us today. We thank you that the gospel message continues to be life-transforming and that you invite us again to make it the center part of our life. Give us that grace today. If there are commitments or recommitments that need to be made, God, I pray that this would be the day that our hearts surrender to you. We thank you, God, that you have acted in the person of Jesus. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for life and for your love. God, I pray that as we leave this place today, that we won't be the same, but that we will be changed because the tomb is empty and Christ is alive. Glory be to God. Amen. We're glad that you chose to spend this time with us in God's Word. You can catch our worship services online at www.rmumc.net. May the Lord grant you the light of His truth as you journey through this day.